You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Hey everybody, this is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Before we get started, I have a short announcement. This is actually the last episode of our first season, and I want to just take a moment to say thank you so, so much for coming on this journey with me over the past several months. It's been quite the adventure. I've been learning a lot myself, figuring this whole process out of podcasting, and I appreciate all of the feedback I've gotten, and I appreciate you know some of the listeners that we've gained along the way that have been really faithful. Just thank you so much. We're going to be taking a small break from episodes like these to get new content ready to share for season two, uh, which is going to start sometime this summer. And we'll be restructuring the podcast a little bit based on some of your feedback. So going forward, we're going to be releasing the behind the scenes interviews, the BTS episodes. We're going to release those regularly throughout the entire year, but we'll only be releasing seasons of our topical episodes like this one twice a year. We'll have one season that'll start in late fall, really the beginning of winter, and then one season starting in summer. Now, if you can't wait for the next season, I would urge you to consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash curiousaboutcannabis. There you'll get access to a secret patrons-only podcast feed that'll have content on it that you won't hear on the public feed, and it'll also give you early access to season two content when it's available. You'll also get access to other educational content on our Patreon. So for instance, our patrons get early access to our YouTube videos. They also get access to exclusive videos that sometimes aren't even ever released to the public. And they get discounts on Curious About Cannabis merchandise. And um, for instance, there's a special discount for the Curious About Cannabis book for our patrons. And any other ways I can think of to add value, um, I try to offer it through our Patreon to our supporters. So if you're interested in that, you can check it out at patreon.com slash curiousaboutcannabis. Thanks again so much for your support and tuning in throughout the season. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I really hope that I'm able to bring you even better content for season two. So now, without further ado, let's get on to the episode. Gorilla Glue, Grape Crush, Blue Dream, Koala, Mr. Nice, OG Kush, Skywalker Haze, Moonshine Haze, AK-47, Trainwreck, Tangy, Hashplant, Trinity, Vortex. What's in a name? Go into any legal cannabis dispensary in Oregon, and your head is likely to spin trying to keep up with the seemingly limitless numbers of names of different varieties of cannabis on the shelf. It's enough to keep cannabis connoisseurs on their toes while the cannabis curious are sometimes left confused and bewildered. And beyond these various strain names, we have other labels like indica, sativa, hybrids. Supposedly some make you sleepy, some make you feel awake, others are supposedly balanced for a productive lifestyle. But is there really anything legit to this system of naming and categorizing cannabis varieties? And what do all these names really mean? In this episode, we're going to be taking a look into the world of cannabis names. So join us as we dive into The Strain Game. Hey everybody, this is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. 
If you've been involved in the cannabis industry for any amount of time or have visited a dispensary, you may be familiar with a company and website called Leafly. Leafly was originally started as a way to collect information on cannabis strains, and it provided kind of an encyclopedia of cannabis strains. Over time, they've evolved, but their core focus on strains has certainly not gone away. Here's some copy from their website describing cannabis strains. And I quote, Marijuana strains are organized into three primary types, sativa, indica, and hybrid. Each type of strain has unique effects on both the mind and the body. For example, sativa strains are uplifting and pair well with activities like social gatherings and being physically active. On the opposite end of the strain spectrum, indica strains are relaxing and can help amplify a deep level of physical sedation, making indica great for those times when you need deep sleep. Lastly, there are hybrid strains, which fall between indicas and sativas, and hybrid strains offer a combination of both energizing and relaxing effects. Hybrid strains are great for those times when it's too late for an energizing sativa or too early for a sedating indica strain. End quote. Is this legit? Or could this be a well-intentioned yet ill-fated effort that may ultimately be misleading consumers and maybe promoting bias and placebo in the consumer market? In today's episode, we're going to be taking a critical look at the way cannabis is commonly categorized and represented by strain names and indica sativa designations. And to guide our curious quest, we'll be focusing on several key questions. One, what do these strain names mean? What is a strain? And what is indica versus sativa? Two, how do strain names and indica sativa designations relate to the genetic lineage and the chemical profile of the plant? And three, how do any of these labels indicate the effects that a product may have on a user? So without further ado, let's get started. If you ask different people in the cannabis industry what they think of the concept of cannabis strains, you're likely to get mixed reactions. Some people think that strains are completely useless and outdated ideas. Some think that they're concepts that are really only reserved for the craft cannabis cultivators and connoisseurs that have an in-depth understanding of the source of genetics. While others think that strain names are vitally important for understanding the effects that a product's going to have on them. So what's really going on here? Well, first, let's talk about the word strain. In biology, the term strain is generally only used when talking about microorganisms. For instance, there are different strains of E. coli. But in botany, the term strain is not usually used to describe different varieties of plants. Instead, the term variety is commonly used. More specifically, the term cultivar, meaning cultivated variety, is often used to refer to different plant types of the same species and subspecies. An additional taxonomical rank used in botany is form, which is a level lower than variety and is often used to distinguish slightly different varieties of a variety, if that makes sense. For instance, let's take the cannabis strain Gorilla Glue, or GG for example. There are different varieties of Gorilla Glue, like Gorilla Glue number 4 and Gorilla Glue number 12, etc. 
but Gorilla Glue itself is a variety of a subspecies of cannabis. So Gorilla Glue number four and number 12 would really be considered forms of the Gorilla Glue variety. So if we want to be botanically correct, we should replace the term strain altogether with the term cultivar. And if there are variations of a particular cultivar, then those variations should be called forms. But beyond the fact that the term strain is not properly used in the realm of cannabis, there are other problems at play when it comes to how cannabis strain names are used. And we'll get into that a little later. But what about these terms indica and sativa? The old colloquial wisdom states that there are three species of cannabis plants, sativa, indica, and ruderalis. Indica plants are short, bushy, and produce heavily sedating effects, whereas sativa plants are supposedly tall and airy and produce stimulating effects. And then these ruderalis plants are often either considered wild plants or perhaps wild or autoflowering plants. But where did this idea come from? Let me begin by saying that cannabis researchers have long debated how to categorize cannabis and how many species of cannabis there might be. The terms sativa, indica, and ruderalis are only a few of many terms that have been used throughout time to organize cannabis. These terms have been used inconsistently by different researchers throughout time to describe different types of cannabis plants. So we're dealing with already a kind of muddy playing field. This basic idea of sativa plants being tall and wide-branched and indica plants being short and densely branched comes from a researcher named Richard Schultes in the early 1970s. Schultes suggested that there are three species of cannabis, sativa, indica, and ruderalis. Each of these species was associated with basic morphological characteristics, that the tall cannabis plants were cannabis sativa, the short bushier plants were indica, and the very small, sometimes unbranching forms of cannabis plants often seen in the wild were considered ruderalis. However, a few years later, another taxonomical model for cannabis would be presented that focused on the plant's chemical profiles rather than its morphology. This taxonomic model, presented by a group of researchers called Small and Cronquist, suggests that cannabis is one single species, cannabis sativa, with at least two subspecies, sativa and indica. Under this model, the sativa subspecies consists of fiber type and low THC varieties of cannabis, while the indica subspecies consisted of high THC and kind of one-to-one THC-CBD ratioed plants. Genetic research performed by John McPartland and Jeffrey Guy confirmed that THC-rich varieties of cannabis are in fact one species. So if we accept this model, which I should point out that not everyone believes this model is accurate, we'll save that for later, but if we accept the Small and Cronquist model, then all THC-rich varieties of cannabis should be Cannabis sativa subspecies indica. So in this model, it doesn't even make sense to say that different varieties of high THC cannabis are either sativa or indica. They're just one or the other, depending on how you define the words. Some researchers felt it made little sense to organize a plant based on its intoxicating properties, aka its THC content, and so later on in 1980, a researcher named Lauren Anderson would refine Schulte's taxonomical model, taking Schulte's focus on the growth form of cannabis varieties and adding details about leaf characteristics to the picture. Anderson characterized cannabis indica plants as short, broadleaf plants, 
and Cannabis sativa as tall, narrow-leaf plants, and then Cannabis ruderalis were these small, weedy plants, just like Schultes described. Anderson also pointed out that these distinctions between sativa, indica, and ruderalis have very little to do with chemical profiles. Keep in mind that Anderson was trying to respond to Small and Cronquist's model and really didn't want these taxonomical names to be associated with chemical profiles. So the work of Schultes and Anderson are largely why we refer to cannabis plants as indica or sativa based on how they look. But why do we often use these terms to refer to chemical profiles as well? Well, it's a complicated story and maybe a little too complicated to dive into too much in this episode, but here's a kind of brief overview. Basically, the term cannabis sativa was originally used by Carl Linnaeus in 1753 to describe a non-intoxicating form of cannabis that was commonly cultivated in Europe, and we would call this hemp. Cannabis indica was originally used by Jean-Baptiste Lamarck 30 years later after Linnaeus to describe cannabis from India that was intoxicating. Now, the plants that Lamarck reviewed actually had narrow leaves, not wide leaves. And the primary difference between these plants was that the plants that Lamarck was looking at were a little bit shorter, they were definitely more aromatic, and they were intoxicating. Later on, the term cannabis sativa would be used by a Russian researcher to describe forms of cannabis that were from Afghanistan and that were used to make hash, a significant departure from Carl Linnaeus. Then later on, the term cannabis indica would be applied to forms of cannabis from Afghanistan that were used to make hash. So already this is getting very confusing. So these uses of the terms cannabis sativa and indica would become confused more and more throughout time and blended in the minds of many with the taxonomical models that Small and Cronquist and Schultes and Anderson put together separately, ultimately resulting in a totally confused vernacular that we've been stuck with to this day. The thing about this, the whole species controversy, I think, personally, it, it's much more to do with the culture wars than it is to do with any really serious botanical mm -hmm. doubt about it. This is Angus from The Real Seed Company. Angus has spent years traveling around the world collecting seeds of cannabis varieties often referred to as landrace strains, which are varieties of cannabis which have naturalized to the region in which they grow, and a lot of times these strains are really, really old strains that haven't been crossbred into a lot of modern genetics. And through his travels, Angus has had the opportunity to get to know people from cultures all over the world that have been growing cannabis for millennia. And along the way, he studied the issue of cannabis taxonomy in depth and has become a de facto cannabis historian. Now, um, yeah. that might, there might be bound to be people who disagree with me, but I, I, I think that what we were talking about with the court cases in the 70s where uh, Schultes, um, uh, you know, he's, he's suddenly between 1970 and 1974, well, actually 1970 and about 1972, that was when he started to appear as an expert witness for the defense in these court cases. He suddenly reversed his whole position on the taxonomy of cannabis between one paper where in 1970, he gave this very coherent, authoritative account of, you know, cannabis is a, is a monotypic genus it has just the one species, everyone knows that, it's obvious, and you have the different ecotypes and cultivars within that, but it's right. just one species. And then suddenly, 1972, he's had this huge change of heart, and he's <laughs> appearing as an expert witness, claiming that there's three species, and the legislation only mentions cannabis sativa, 
how can the prosecution right. prove that this is this is not cannabis indica, not indica or, or cannabis yeah. ruderalis? And you know, and, and then he, he just breaks it all up into this kind of really like counterintuitive. Suddenly, you put cannabis sativa is 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 hemp, and it's kind of Indian ganja yeah. um, land races, and it's bung them in together. You know, just create create chaos. I, I don't... But the story gets even more confusing. So far, we've talked about two ways of categorizing cannabis. One that categorizes cannabis by morphology or its shape and the other that categorizes cannabis by chemotype, or its chemical profile. But there's another way of categorizing cannabis, which we already hinted at a little bit, and that's by the plant's genes. A researcher named Carl Hillig performed several different experiments looking at the genetic and chemical variation among cannabis varieties, and in his genetic research, he made a scatterplot representing differences between samples and then compared the data to different indica sativa taxonomical models, including Schulte's model, Small and Cronquist model, and others. What he found was that of the major taxonomical models that he reviewed, including those by Schulte's as well as Small and Cronquist, none of them fit his data. His data showed two distinct clusters, seemingly representative of a split in the cannabis gene pool. But do these two clusters represent unique species or subspecies? And why don't they fit any of the models that have been presented before on how to categorize cannabis? In their book, Cannabis Evolution and Ethnobotany, Robert Clark and Mark Merlin present a revised taxonomical model that states that all THC-rich cultivars and broad-leafed hemp cultivars are cannabis indica, and all narrow-leaf hemp is cannabis sativa. This model also posits that all cannabis varieties are ultimately derived from a single putative ancestor. And in this model, THC-rich cannabis varieties are separated on the subspecies level by their morphology and named after their presumed origins. So, for instance, narrow-leaf THC-rich varieties of cannabis are cannabis indica subspecies indica, representing their presumed origins of India while broadleaf THC-rich varieties are cannabis indica subspecies Afghanica, referring to their presumed origin of Afghanistan. Broadleaf hemp varieties would be cannabis indica subspecies chinensis, which represents their origins from China, and then narrowleaf hemp varieties would just simply be cannabis sativa subspecies sativa under this model. One of the main things I want to point out is just that under this model, your narrow-leaf THC-rich varieties would be called indica, and your broad-leaf THC-rich varieties would be called afghanica. Quite different than the way we use indica and sativa uh, currently in the colloquial sense. Upon careful review, it appears that the colloquial use of indica and sativa is really just a bastardized synthesis of taxonomical systems and it doesn't accurately represent any single system of organizing cannabis. In short, it's made up. It seems to take elements from each of these systems that we've covered, but it fails to accurately deliver on any of them. And it's really quite a mess that should be abandoned. When I was attending the University of Mississippi and spending time at the NIDA Cannabis Lab there, I actually asked the researchers how many species of cannabis that they recognized, and I was given a very firm answer that there was only one single species of cannabis, cannabis sativa, 
with all other variations underneath that species. When reviewing the Integrated Taxonomical Information System, cannabis is listed as a single species, Cannabis sativa, with all of these other taxonomical systems listed, but identified as not recognized. Perhaps as genomic research into cannabis progresses, the taxonomy of cannabis will evolve. Based on trends in biology, this is very likely to be the case. Genetic research is leading to many changes in how all of life is categorized across the board, and cannabis is not likely to escape this rearrangement. Taking a step back from all of these taxonomical models, let's briefly discuss what terms like sativa and indica and ruderalis mean from a botanical perspective. The term sativa is typically used to refer to cultivated plants. For instance, the common oat is Avena sativa. The term indica technically means from India. And the term ruderalis is derived from the term ruderal, usually used to describe plants that grow easily in disturbed areas. The cannabis researcher John McPartland has argued that we should take the meanings of all of these different terms seriously when deciding how to talk about cannabis. For instance, as far as we can tell, only domesticated varieties of cannabis still exist in the world. Sure, there are plants that have escaped cultivation and renaturalized, but are there really any varieties of cannabis in existence that are untouched by human domestication? It's highly unlikely. Cannabis has been cultivated for thousands upon thousands of years. So does that mean that all cannabis in existence today is technically sativa? Well, maybe, depending on how you want to use the terms. And then what about the use of the term indica? McPartland has argued that we should actually split THC-rich cannabis into two varieties based on their origins, one being indica, those from India, and one being afghanica, those from Afghanistan. Now this might sound familiar because this is the model that Robert Clark and Mark Merlin used when they came up with their taxonomical system. So regardless of how we want to categorize cannabis, if we want our vocabulary to be consistent, we should use these terms intentionally according to the manner in which these terms have been applied in other plants in botany. In John McPartland's 2018 review of Cannabis Taxonomy and Systematics, he provides a suggestion for fixing these labels in our cultural vernacular to make them more accurate. He states, and I quote, In summary, reconciling the vernacular and formal nomenclatures, quote-unquote sativa, is really indica, quote-unquote indica is actually afghanica, and quote-unquote ruderalis is usually sativa. All three are varieties of one species, cannabis sativa, end quote. But leaving the taxonomy debate aside for a moment, just how reliable are indica sativa designations or strain names in terms of genetic lineage or chemical profiles? Let's start with genetic lineage. Do strain names and indica sativa designations actually correlate with genetic lineage? The short answer is not really. First, let's look at some basic issues. First of all, strain names are often mislabeled. Now, this happens both intentionally and unintentionally. It's common for cannabis cultivators to cultivate multiple varieties at once, and it makes sense that in the hustle and bustle of harvesting and processing, that some containers of plants may get mislabeled. Additionally, when someone receives clones, 
they might get a plant that was mislabeled. And so through no fault of their own, even if they're maintaining the cultivar name that they received when getting their propagation materials, they still might be labeling their plants incorrectly. However, on the more nefarious side of things, some cultivators will actually change the cultivar name of a batch of cannabis solely in an attempt to make it more sellable, because some cannabis uh, cultivar names, some strain names, are more popular than others season to season. Second, strain names are often inappropriately applied to plants propagated from seed, where you'd introduce genetic variation. These two issues alone have muddied the playing field so much that the reliability of any one strain name, just in terms of genetic lineage, is a real crapshoot. The same issue can be said for indica sativa designations. Even if we were to accept the colloquial definitions of indica sativa, the fact of the matter is that cultivators and product manufacturers often use these labels to indicate an anticipated effect more so than in any reference to the genetic lineage or even the morphology of the plant. Additionally, there are several online tools that allow you to examine how genetically similar and dissimilar different cannabis samples are. One is called The Galaxy by Phylos Bioscience, and the other is The Canopedia by Medicinal Genomics. At least these are the ones I'm familiar with. Using these tools, we can examine data related to samples that were labeled as Blue Dream, for instance, which is a really common strain. On the Phylos Galaxy, right away we can see different unique genetic clusters, with some clusters being substantially unique and far apart on the galaxy. If you go onto the Canopedia, you can search for all sorts of samples and see a hodgepodge of close relatives, some that are labeled as the same strain and others that are definitely not the same and theoretically should be quite different based on colloquial wisdom. Now, this isn't to say that there's absolutely no consistency behind strain names. I want to point out that there are, in fact, genetic patterns among cannabis varieties. And there are these clusters, so there are large amounts of samples that have the same strain name that are genetically very similar. But we have a lot of clusters. So for instance, going back to the Phylos galaxy, you'll find that there are distinct genetic clusters of close relatives among any one strain name. But which of these clusters is the true OG or the true blue dream? Is it the biggest cluster? If so, why? Who decides what Blue Dream or OG Kush or any other strain actually is genetically? In the Canopedia database, while you will see a strain name listed, you'll also see a unique identifier that's the true label associated with the genetics that were tested from that sample. From a genetic perspective, the strain name is largely irrelevant. However, if you focus on a sample that was labeled Blue Dream, for example, you'll likely see that it has close relatives that are also labeled as Blue Dream. So there is some consistency, just not enough consistency for consumers to trust these labels. I hope that distinction is being made clear here. There is some consistency, just not enough. So, Strain names and indica sativa designations don't mean much in terms of genetic lineage. But what about chemical profiles? To begin to tackle this issue, we need to review a lot of data. So I went to my friends at Confident Cannabis to get their opinions on the issue. 
Confident Cannabis is a technology company that provides various software solutions to cannabis testing labs, growers, producers, dispensaries, and they're what they're trying to do is to bring transparency to the supply chain. Their platform captures a lot of data about products moving around in the cannabis industry, and by analyzing this data, they've been able to glean some interesting insights. You know, the cannabis chemistry is super fascinating, and we think it's really important. Um, the general population isn't educated enough to really know what to do with this information, but we have built tools like Connect. This is Steve Alberon, the CEO of Confident Cannabis. If you want to go to our website and uh, click the button at the top that says Connect, um, it's, it's, it's a free tool. We don't make any money from it. Uh, we built it because we thought we kind of had a moral obligation to do that. Uh, and, and really what it is, is uh, it's a, a 3D visualization of cam- cannabis chemistry. And so you'll see a number of different dots. Every dot is, uh, is uh, a, a particular strain grown by a particular producer in a particular state. Um, and the location of that dot is a function of uh, several different chemicals uh, in their concentration. So THC, CBD, but as well as uh, THCV, CBDV, mm-hmm. CBG. Um, and so a number of minor cannabinoids, but then also a number of terpenes, beta caryophyllene, limonene, pinene, all the usual yeah. suspects. Um, and based on the, the, the distribution of those various compounds in uh, that uh, particular batch or, or group of batches, um, that'll determine how close or far they are from another dot. So the way to read it is if the dots are close together, they're chemically similar, they're mm-hmm. far apart, they're chemically uh, d- d- distinct. And so what you can do is you can go in and you say, okay, I'm looking for, let's say, you know, OG Kush, right? Mm-hmm. And if the dots are all over the place and widely spread out, that tells you something very important. It means that it's a highly unreliable strain name. There are mm-hmm. lots of strains that you might find in a store that are called OG Kush that have widely different chemical compositions. Um, conversely, if you type in a, a strain name and find them fairly clustered together, you know it's a fairly uh, reliable strain name. But in general, we obviously looked at all this information, uh, strain names are very unreliable. Um, they're not right. bad, they're, they're not evil, they're brand names. But they yeah, don't really yeah. tell you much about chemical composition. And uh, because cam- cannabis is so diverse, it really does matter, um, you know, the ratios of these profiles. Um, yep. You know, some, some people don't like the effects of high terpinolene strains. Some people do. Um, some people want high myrcene strains. Some people don't. Um, and, you know, not to mention CBD, THC, you know, concentrations being important. After reviewing this tool myself, I had Brad Bogus from Confident Cannabis go through the Connect platform with me to explain how it works and exactly what I was seeing. The to take away from this type of an exper- of a experience is that strain name is not really the most uh, predictive indicator of chemistry, right? Right. Um, yeah. Whether they're genetically certified or not, a strain name is how most people are buying cannabis, um, and we can see that you can't really expect exactly the same thing. You can expect some similarities, but you can also expect a few differences across the board. If I go buy mimosa in California, or if I go buy mimosa in Oregon, I'm going to have probably two very different mimosas. And really, if I buy a few mimosas out of Oregon, I might end up with this one here. I might end up with this one here. Pretty different, right? So that's one thing that's a good takeaway from this is that like genetics and strain name, not a great predictor. Um, If you want to like actually um, um, uh, solve for genetic differences, for instance, mimosa being a really highly circulated strain, you might get an unscrupulous producer calling something mimosa that's not genetically certified as mimosa. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just to make it more sellable. That's right. So we like to use Slimer as a really good example. 
um, of how even when you solve for the genetics, you still see variants. So uh, Slimer is only available via certified genetic clone from one company. Um, mm, okay. Slimer on the market, you can rest like 99.9% .9 assured that it is genetically Slimer. You can't really be called it. If it's not, you can't get it anywhere else. And nobody's really asking for Slimer in such a yeah. high demand that someone would call something Slimer that's not. It's not a very appetizing sounding strain name. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what you see is pretty uh, consistent expectation of outcome. But what's this guy doing over here? Right. This is right, someone in yeah. Oregon who's produced Slimer. And it's an extremely different outcome than this Slimer. In fact, almost all Slimer should have terpenaline in it. As you can see, you can produce it differently. I mean, yep. these are, you know, lighting inputs. These are water inputs. These are fertilizer inputs. It's soil. This mm -hmm. is climate. This is cure. This is so much that's going into what makes cannabis cannabis that um, you can't expect that you're always going to get the same reaction. Genetics might get you most of the way there, but they're not going to get you all the way there. But what about indica and sativa designations? How do those associate with chemical profiles? What uh, correlations is this data set showing between what people are classifying as quote-unquote indica and sativa? So this is actually my favorite thing about Connect. Um, it, you talk to people in the industry and you'll get a general consensus that most people think indica sativa doesn't mean anything. Right. That it's actually kind of nonsense. That like, some sativas actually make me really, really couch locked and some yep, sativas yep. make me geek out. So if I get this range of feelings, how come all cannabis is expected to live in a binary of upper or downer? Exactly. Yeah. Nonsense. Uh, so one of the ways that you can actually explore that within Connect is to click down here where it says cannabinoid. Th this is a way to color the dots based on different information. So we can kind of filter for different stuff. Right now we're filtered for cannabinoid class. You can filter for indica sativa. And what that does is it colors the sativa's red, colors the indica's blue. Okay. We picked pretty divergent colors here so that you can really see, yep. you know, them stand out. And all the hybrids are gray because they're hybrids, right? They kind of are all the same. Yeah. Um, what you'll notice is that there's not a space within Connect where red exists and blue doesn't and vice versa. Right. Yeah, they're all over, all intermixed. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, and that's because indica sativa don't have any chemical meaning. They actually never have had any chemical meaning. Yeah, I don't know I, yeah. why it got ascribed to it. Okay. So these names don't seem to be strongly correlated with genetic lineage, and they don't seem to mean much in the way of chemical profiles. So what gives? Well, in short, we need a new system of categorizing and talking about cannabis. If we're interested in how something's going to affect the body, then we care about chemical profile, and we need a better vocabulary for talking about patterns of chemical profiles in cannabis products. If we're interested in discussing plant morphology, we need a vocabulary to talk about that, which is consistent, accurate, and separate from the vocabulary we would use to talk about chemical profiles. It doesn't really make sense to intertwine these two things. And if we're interested in discussing genetic lineage, we need assistance from genetic mapping tools and some standardized naming conventions for cannabis cultivars, which are based on genetic data. Several researchers and companies, like Leafly, have proposed alternative methods to address these distinct problems. But so far, none of these solutions have really taken a strong hold in the cannabis industry, at least yet. Going back to where we started with Leafly, they have attempted to produce a visual guide to understanding a strain's chemical profile. And this visual guide is represented by a series of shapes and colors with unique meanings, like 
um, in the center of this picture, there'll be a shape. And one particular shape represents a THC-rich cultivar. A different shape represents CBD, for instance. And then all around this shape in the center, you have these other shapes and colors that represent terpenes and the relative concentrations. And the attributes that are associated with each strain are based on numerous lab tests, which is certainly a step in the right direction, seemingly. But the website then goes on to associate each strain with effects like sleepy, relaxing, uplifting, energetic. But this is all potentially flawed in a number of ways. First, it assumes that a strain name is represented by any one particular chemical profile, which, as we've talked about before in this episode, chemical profiles among strains are not consistent. Even when basing the findings on aggregates of terpene data, you're still left with an average chemical profile that doesn't necessarily represent anything that someone will find in a dispensary. And concerning predicting effects, if you dive deeper into Leafly's data, you often find that even consumers don't agree on the effects of a cannabis variety. For many strains that are on Leafly's website, close to 50% of people report the most commonly reported effects. What that means is that nearly half of people that tried any particular strain actually do not feel those same effects. So this isn't just some intellectual or academic exercise. Actual consumers of cannabis are even saying, without realizing it, that the effects associated with cannabis strains are inconsistent. Another issue that we haven't really gotten into at all in this episode is, even if you know the chemical profile of a cannabis variety or a particular cannabis product, can you actually predict the effects it'll have on somebody? The way that the cannabis industry talks about strains and chemical profiles and indica sativa designations, you would assume the answer is yes, but it's not so straightforward, and we're going to save that question for another time. So as a consumer trying to find cannabis products that work best for you, what do you do after you learn that all of these names, whether they be strain names or indica sativa designations, are unreliable? My takeaway is this. Stop relying on strain names, stop relying on indica sativa designations, and start journaling. Pay attention to the chemical profiles and the organoleptic characteristics of what you consume, and keep track of how you respond. You may find that a single chemical profile affects you differently at different times of the day or in different settings. You may find that the cannabis that your bud tender told you would put you to sleep actually makes your heart race and wakes you up. You may find that a small toke produces very different effects than consuming a larger dose. There are so many variables at play that will influence how a person will respond to cannabis. To dilute all of those variables down into a simplified model of cannabis strains or indica sativa designations is really a fool's errand. There is also the hidden and impossible to quantify variable, which is you. The chemistry of the product is only part of the picture, and the biochemistry that your own body brings to the table is the other part of that picture. No one can tell you what's going to work for you, or how something's going to affect you, and there's no surefire way to predict it. It comes down to trial and error. If you're looking for a good journal designed for this purpose of tracking how cannabis affects you, I recommend checking out Goldleaf's Patient Journal. 
I'll be doing a review on Goldleaf's journals and other educational materials that I'll be posting on the Curious About Cannabis YouTube channel soon. So let's review what we've learned so far. The cannabis industry uses a common colloquial vocabulary to talk about cannabis varieties, where sativa is used to describe tall, wide-branching plants which cause stimulating effects in users, and indica is used to describe short, dense plants which cause sedating effects. Researchers currently don't agree on the best way to categorize cannabis, but they do agree that all THC-rich varieties of cannabis are a single species. And even among most proposed taxonomical systems, the terms indica and sativa are used in inconsistent ways compared to how they're used colloquially. The current colloquial indica-sativa model is not grounded in any scientifically recognized taxonomical model of cannabis. Research indicates that strain names and indica-sativa designations do not strongly relate to genetic lineage. Although there are distinct groups of chemical profiles among cannabis varieties, research also indicates that strain names and indica-sativa designations do not strongly correlate to these chemical profiles. It's important for the industry to define new vocabularies and systems of categorizing cannabis which are more accurate and precise and less confusing to consumers. In the meantime, the best thing you can do to find cannabis products that work best for you is to keep a journal and track what chemical profiles, smells, tastes, dosages, etc. that you've tried and what the experience was like. And in this way, you can begin to transcend strain names. And with that, I'm your host, Jason Wilson. Thanks again so much for tuning in to this episode and this season. It's been a great pleasure to have you join me on this journey. Until next time, stay curious and take it easy. Special thanks to our guests that were so gracious in spending time with me for interviews that helped construct not just this episode, but other episodes throughout the season. To check out the citations for this episode, and there are plenty, you can check out the show notes by visiting cacpodcast.com. If you want to learn more about cannabis, you can check out the Curious About Cannabis book, available now on Amazon.com and other online book retailers. If you like what we're doing here and want to support the show, please consider supporting us by liking and sharing this episode with your friends and family. You can also choose to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash naturallearningenterprises, where you can get access to the full-length guest interviews, behind-the-scenes content, and a lot more. You can also connect with Curious About Cannabis on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We must work untiringly so that our children are obliged to learn the truth. Because it is only through knowledge that we can safely protect them. Cronquist in, in saying that mm-hmm. there are just the two subspecies, uh, in other words, um, hemp, inverted commas, as in fiber, fiber plants, and then marijuana, inverted commas, meaning, you know, drug, inverted commas. I keep putting inverted yeah, commas yeah, and everything because, yep. <laughs> you know, because I actually, know, yeah, yeah, you can, you can use um, hemp as a, as, as a medicinal drug as well, exactly, very high yep. in CBD and so on. But anyway, yep. marijuana and hemp, I mean, I, I don't like either word, but we're stuck with as a philosopher, you'll appreciate this. We're stuck with our limited and rather, yep, yeah, rather fluid terminology. But um, 
yeah, it, you know, I would say two subspecies, and and then I, I think the variety in the strict botanical sense, each right. subspecies has its domesticated and its weedy ruderal mm -hmm. uh, varieties in in the botanical sense of variety, and then everything else, if we want to name it, we don't use Latin, we use whatever the term is, fancy names, but anyway. It, yeah, English. English. Right. Whatever we, we crazy, English. whatever crazy strain name they've come up with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>